0: I want to want to begin this morning with a disclaimer. Uh, we're talking about Elijah. Now, in the first service, I called him Isaiah some, <laughs> Jeremiah a few times. So, I just want to know: whatever I call the guy, whatever I say, you're going to think Elijah. Are we all together on this? Are we in agreement? I want to direct your attention to chapter 18 and chapter 19 of the book of 1 Kings. Uh, And there's a particular verse that seems to me to be somewhat paradoxical. Doesn't seem to fit, doesn't seem to make sense in relationship to what had happened. And it's in chapter 19 in verse 3, and it says this, and Elijah was afraid And he ran for his life. Now, the reason that verse doesn't seem to fit is the story of what happened in chapter 18. Perhaps you remember Elijah doing battle with the prophets of Baal. They were on a mountaintop. Matter of fact, probably the best named mountain I've ever heard, Mount Carmel. That's a place to go right there. In fact, I've been on top of Mount Carmel and seen the monument built honoring Elijah and what God did that day. Remember the prophets of Baal built an altar. Elijah built an altar. They prayed for fire. Elijah prayed for fire. Prophets of Baal failed. God wet the place down and then rained fire. Prophets of Baal were consumed. God was showing off that day, don't you think? And Elijah was God's man. God responded to Elijah's prayer. Elijah had been a very forceful and effective prophet. There was another time when Elijah prayed for drought, and it didn't rain for three years in Israel. So what Isaiah asked for, God seemed to listen to, and God spoke through the prophet. There were some tough days because reigning in Israel during those days was a guy by the name of Ahab. He was the king, supposed to be in charge, but he had married a woman named Jezebel. Anybody remember her? Now, Ahab was the king, but Jezebel was in charge, right? She was in charge. And during those days of great evil... God began to speak through his prophet, Elijah, and began to manifest his power and glory over Israel. Uh, In verse 1, chapter 19, we kind of start to realize why the paradox is there, why Elijah was running, why he was struggling, why he was afraid. Ahab told Jezebel everything that had happened on Mount Carmel. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, it was a death threat. And she had the uh, wherewithal to make it happen. And so in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, And when he came to a place called Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Well, I want you to understand what I believe is happening here with Elijah. Now, it might seem on the surface, as you read the Scripture, that Elijah was actually literally running for his life. It might seem like that there was a fear that he might be killed. But Jezebel had threatened him before, and God had always protected him. It wasn't the first time somebody wanted to kill Elijah. And I don't really think he was running for his life. I think he was running from his life. You ever do that? Life gets so tough that you don't want to kill yourself, you just want to get away for a while. You don't want to face death, you just want to get away for a while. And all of us who, who have ever struggled in life, all of us who it's ever rained on, have looked to the heavens and said at times, Lord, is this not enough? I can't take anymore. It's enough. I expect God has looked at all of us and said sometimes, I've had enough too, don't you think? And that's what's happening with Elijah. He'd been in battle after battle after battle, and he was weary of the battle. He'd just fought the prophets on Mount Carmel, and now word of a death threat. And Elijah is chagrined, and he he says to the Lord, I'm out of here. I've had enough. I'm going to run. I'm done, God. I'm glad this story of Elijah is in the Bible. I have a hard time identifying with the prophet in chapter 18 who stood before the people and called out to God, and fire rained down on the mountain, consumed them have a hard time identifying with that prophet. But I know all about the prophet I read about in chapter 19, don't you? I know all about struggles in life. I know all about wishing that things were different, wondering why God has allowed this, wondering why the battles keep coming, wondering why the pain is there, wondering why there doesn't seem to be a way out. We have all been where Isaiah is here. And it makes me feel very confident to see that God not only uses people who are fearful. God not only uses us when, when we really don't know what to do, when we're running and struggling and wounded and broken, when, when life is tumbling in and, and, and it just seems like we're living in confusion. That God doesn't always choose those who have no fears. In fact, sometimes when we're the most afraid, that's when God uses us the best, the most. And it's not fear that matters to God. It's faith. So Isaiah, or, or there we go. You shouldn't have told me that. Elijah Elijah determines that he's going to run. He takes off. And into this run, into this struggle, God speaks some important truth. And I believe these are the same things that he would say to you and I today who are running. To you and I who are trying to get away from whatever is happening in our life, maybe even trying to escape God. The very first thing he says to Elijah, in the midst of his departure, is this. Get up and eat. I want you to look with me in the scripture and see the context of this. Elijah's under this bush. He's asleep, and an angel touches him and simply says, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head, there was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. Get up and eat. There are times when we are weary and wounded. There are times when we don't have any energy. There are times when we have just gone the last mile and can't go any further. And I think that's what was happening in Elijah's life. I think he had come to his wits end, and and he finally got to this place, and he lay down under a bush, and he went to sleep. Before he went to sleep, he said, God, I'm done. And he was running The opposite direction of where God was. It says that even after God woke him up, he headed on down to Mount Horeb, which was still the opposite direction. God was saying, Elijah, you need to be here. And Elijah was headed this way. I understand that too, don't you? You ever had God say, you need to be here? And you got as far away from here as you possibly could. God said, Elijah... Get up and eat. Now, I'm not exactly sure that he was talking about physical food here, but if he was, isn't it amazing to think about this? When you are in rebellion, when you're disobedient to God, when you're doing things you shouldn't do, when you're headed in the wrong direction, when your life is in chaos, when you're trying your best to escape God. Aren't you glad that God the Father, God your Father, will wake you up and feed you? Who else but God will help you when you are in utter rebellion? Who else but God will sustain you, will feed you when you're trying to get anywhere but close to him? Doesn't that give you a wonderful, wonderful promise of hope? That today, when you've run from God, when you've done everything you could to put distance between you and him, he wakes you up and he feeds you. He feeds you. The Bible says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I wonder if that's what he was talking about with Elijah. And I wonder how long on this journey away from God you've gone, how far you've gone. I wonder if if you've done everything you could to ignore God and to ignore his nourishment. I wonder if you've done everything you could to kick God out of your life. And you're here this morning, and God's saying, get up and eat. Feed on my word, feed on my mercy, feed on my grace, feed on my forgiveness. Get up, get up, wake up, realize where you're headed, and find strength to turn around. Let's see where Elijah goes next. Yeah, that's right, Elijah. Let's see where he goes next. Bible says he goes into a cave, in verse 9, and he spends the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing in the cave, Elijah? And I like his speech here because I've made a speech like this several times, and I bet you have. God, I've been very zealous for you. I've been the man for you. I've done everything for you. You ever try to convince God of what a wonderful servant you are? I've done it all. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. I've said to God many times, there's not a person in Burlington who listens to a thing I say when I preach, God. Some of them sleep. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with their sword, God. God, you're not paying much attention to this. This is the same God who about 50 days before had rained fire from heaven Elijah had already forgotten. God, where in the world are you? Matter of fact, God, you ever said this? I'm the only one left. I'm the best guy around. God, there's nobody else who loves you like I do. I'm the only only one that cares about you anymore, God. And now they're trying to kill me too. That's why I'm in this cave, God. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too two. Let's talk about caves for just a minute. Caves are dark, they're wet, they're scary, aren't they? I was in a cave just the other day. (laughs) In case you can't tell by that facial expression, I was depressed, I was discouraged, and wondering if we would ever, ever make it out of the Red River Gorge. There are lots of caves in our lives, aren't there? Caves of dysfunction, caves of addiction, caves of brokenness, caves that we live in when we hold a grudge and we won't forgive, caves that... That, that smack of rebellion from God, just anywhere we can get dark and alone and by ourselves and believe that somehow God can't find us. Lots of folks sitting in this room are living in a cave right now, cave of your own making. But I want to tell you a couple things about that cave. You can still hear God there. Did you know that? You can still hear God there. The Wi Fi isn't real good and the cell service is, oh, it stinks, but you can still hear God there. Not as well as you should, but He still speaks into the caves. God's in the cave with you, but it's dark. And a cave doesn't look like a place for God. And it's so dark and so desolate and your spirit is so broken that you can't see him. But he's there. God doesn't desert you, though you go to the most remote place on this planet. Matter of fact, there's a passage of Scripture that says this. If I make my bed... In hell, the psalmist wrote, God, you're there. If I take wings of flight and go to the uttermost parts of the sea, God, even there your hand will lead me, and it will hold me fast. You see, you can run as far as you can go, as fast as you can go. You can put distance in your mind and in your heart between God. You can do everything to break the covenant relationship between you and God, but God, he'll always be there. There's no place, not even the devil's hell, to escape him. God is in the cave, but you can't see him. And so God stopped Elijah, and he said, I want you to go out, says it right here in this passage, Go out and stand on the mountain. Get out of the cave. Go out and stand on the mountain because my presence is about to pass by. Wow. Wouldn't you like to hear God say that to your spirit? I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to that place where you thought I couldn't find you. And here's what happened. Can you imagine Elijah as he stumbles out of the cave? His pupils are about that big. His hair is messed up. His prophet beard is long and flowing, and there's insects and stuff like that living in it. And, and I mean, he's at his lowest. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And he struggles out. And he searches the horizon for the presence of God. He's finally out of the dark, and things begin to happen. The Bible says this, there came a great and powerful wind or, or storm that tore the mountain apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. And Isaiah began to think to himself, you know, God's in this storm, isn't he? That's where God is. I can see it. I can see what's happening. That has to be God. But the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him, and he said, I'm not in the storm. I'm not in the wind. And as Isaiah was looking around to see what damage the storm had done, the earth began to shake, and there was this major earthquake, and he was in a rocky place in a cave on a mountain nearby, and rocks were twirling, and, and, and it appeared that God had stamped his foot. And the mountains trembled. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then Elijah saw a familiar thing happen. Fire came. God sent fire again. He'd just seen that. Surely God was in the fire. But he wasn't. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Isaiah heard that whisper, the Bible says he pulled his coat over his face. And he stood at the mouth of the cave, covering his face because the glory, the kind of glory of God, so bright, so vivid and so real. Now let me ask you, why do you think God came in a whisper? Why not the earthquake? Why not the fire? Why not the storm? When when I see God at work, it's usually something big, right? Something powerful. But God came in a whisper. Carl, if I were to come down there and whisper to you, what would I have to do? I'd have to get really close. And I'd want to know what perfume or cologne he was wearing before that happened. When somebody whispers to you, they're next to you, aren't they? So God came in a whisper because he and Elijah were in the same place. Now listen to me. When you are at your lowest, when you're in those caves of destruction, those caves of sin, those caves of depression, those caves of anxiety, God's whisper. Because he's living in the cave with you, with you. You see, sometimes when Jesus says, follow me, when God's Spirit says, follow me, he leads us to some really, really exciting places and wonderful places, places of joy, places of mountaintop experiences, but sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves Deepest, darkest caverns of life where there is no escape. Is there ever a more precious time to hear the voice of God say, Follow me? Follow me to hope. Follow me to a new start. Follow me out out of this terrible place where you find yourself? I am here with you. I'm not out there somewhere in a place you can't find me or touch me. I am right beside you, ministering to you, loving you, whispering in your ear. I want to tell you something. I think that movement from a cave to a mountaintop happens every Sunday in this place. And I think you made a quality decision when you decided to come to church today. You stepped out of a place maybe where you couldn't hear God very well. You stepped out of a place where you couldn't see him very well, and you walked into a place where the Spirit of God flows. And he's going to get all over you today. He's going to speak to you in a whisper that will sound like a roar. He's going to say, you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to bear that burden anymore. You don't have to live discouraged and defeated and depressed. You don't have to live in the struggle of life. Because I'm with you and any problem that you have. I'm bigger than that bigger than that now I know it's wonderful to be quiet and meditative and you're singing, hey great news God because that's where I am but right now I'd like to hear a great amen for what God wants to do in your life since you're here today I'd like to hear one better than that actually amen. finally and the mute church spoke God said, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. You've come a long way, the wrong way, but we're headed back. God said that to me several times, hadn't He you? Not done with you yet. Not done. Got more to do. Go back the way you came. And if you continue to read the passage, you'll see that God said, Here's the plan. Got some folks here and some folks there and a ministry here and a ministry there. Your time in the cave, my friend, is over. Go back where you went. Let me tell you something today. God always has a plan. It was his plan for you to be here. It was his plan for you to hear what he has to say. It was his plan for you to leave here with hope. A fresh start, a burden lifted, excitement. God always has a plan. And secondly, God was saying to Elijah, you're not the only one. There are other folks who've struggled like you. You're not the only one. You're not alone. There are other folks who've made it to these caves and I've had to come retrieve them. And there are folks, as you head back, who want to serve alongside you in ministry, who want to pray with you and lift you up and help you to be the prophet that you need to be. Elijah, you are not alone. Listen to me. From the bottom of my heart today, I want to praise God that when I wanted to quit, he wouldn't let me. I want to praise God because when I started to think it was all about me and I was all alone and I was the only one and I had too much on me to do anything, that God said, I'm here in this cave with you. And I want to praise God this morning because I can see by the looks on your faces that some of you right now are wondering if the cave will ever end for you if the fight will ever end, if the struggle is even worth it. And you want to give up. And God brought you here today to let you know there's hope. No matter what it is, there's hope. No matter how dark the cave he'll call you to the mountaintop and he'll pass by so cup your hand to your ear and listen for his whisper the devil yells he needs to yell to get our attention he intimidates us with his loudness the enemy yells But God speaks louder in a whisper. As he calls you to salvation today. As he calls you to new faith. As he calls you to peace. As he calls you to end a sin or an addiction or a struggle in your life. As God speaks truth into your life, he whispers. He's close. He sits on the pew with each one of you. He lives in your heart. He's close. And he wants to change everything. He wants to change everything. I'm tired of the cave. How about you? Take me to the mountains. Take me to new hope, God. Pray with me. In Jesus' name, we ask, Father, calling upon your authority, your power, that you would move us from a place of struggle to a place of forgiveness. Because this whole story, Father, is about your grace. It's about how you don't give up on us. You don't lose track of us, and you never fail to pour out your mercy and your grace. There are those of us who've sinned today, Father, in this room, and we're living in a cave of guilt and shame. There are those of us who who wonder if you're even close. Whisper to us. Save us. Forgive us. Change us. Let your glory fall. Let your whisper be heard right now. Amen. Stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to this altar. That way is the wrong direction. This way is the right direction. That way is the cave. This way is the mountaintop. Let God's voice, God's power, reign in your life right now. You come to